0: Welcome to Super (sighs)
1: Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast that records every day of the week and releases episodes every Every other 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 week,
2: (laughs) every other month.
1: Yes. I'm Jake.
3: I'm Wyatt. And we are now hitting you with part two of our Super Duperstitious special Special report on um, paranormal investigations and cryptozoology and the people who study the stuff that we like to talk about.
1: That's right. And uh, today, we're going to bring you the other side, which is both a description of why science is legitimate, legitimite, why science is Vegemite, and why cryptozoology, paranormal research of any kind is uh, pseudoscience, straight up bullshit, hot dog nonsense, get the hell out of here. And we also do end up talking to an expert on
3: this kind of stuff to talk about, you know, why that is and what could be changed about those fields to actually
1: give them more um credibility we do indeed we have uh sharon hill who will be joining us later author of scientifical americans uh she'll be i guess radioing in through skype she'll be helicoptering in she'll be helicoptering in with a microphone and just to skype us from another <laughs> yeah, room
3: just from the helicopter so actually the <laughs> audio is terrible as a result That's right but uh it was worth it absolutely it's only
1: costing her four thousand dollars a 20 minute block <laughs> So that's where we're headed. Uh, before we get there, we're going to do some recap of last week's episode. That is right. So I
3: keep saying last week. It's last episode. You guys get where we're at now. You've heard us be very confused
1: by our own bullshit. And I, you know, I blindly agree with you. You're like, <laughs> yeah. last week's, I was like, he is 100% correct, everyone. As far as we know, it was yesterday's episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Again, we've recorded like 100 in the last 48 hours. By 100. easily 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 a hundred right so last time i talked about some cryptozoology works if you will uh the two major players there being lake monsters in general but you know popular hits being nessie and champ champ, champ. Ch- he's the ch- S- only ever say <laughs> it with
3: a very breathy kind of low just a lot of kind of uh just mouthy uh. sound.
1: those two and how there is a research crew that will be perhaps using relatively modern relatively scientific methods to sample the waters of Loch Ness which is all fine and good this is the eDNA stuff but there is a little too much of a wink and a nod going on betraying their boyish excitement yes
3: As also, we mentioned a, another research group that will be going out there this coming year that we could <laughs> potentially be part of. Donate to our GoFundMe. Link in the description.
1: Um, the second of the two was the more stereotypically crypto amateur research group, which, luck of the draw, happened to be the SIR, which I already forget that, what that stood for.
3: <laughs> it was something to do with something, I'm sure.
1: Yep. We're good at this. They're looking for Sasquatch in the mountains, the Rockies. Sasquatch investigations in the Rockies, actually, I think is what that it stood for. That,
3: that seems like a thing that could be
1: right. Anyhow, they bring forward photos as evidence mainly and audio, mm-hmm. which are very fun, but it's stuff that you cannot prove was not just sort of fabricated right. to support their narrative. Again, the major issue with cryptozoological research, as with I think a lot of this stuff, is it has an answer but no evidence rather than having a question
3: arrive again and answer. Based on what the evidence yes. points to instead yes. of having an answer you want to try and get to. Right. And then any evidence you find is slowly building the bridge to there from where you are. And doesn't matter how flimsy that bridge might be,
1: you will say that you're getting there. Right. So there you have it as far as my side, I think.
3: Groovy. So then after that, I went into details about um, paranormal investigation groups, people who are looking for ghosts specifically. They are earnest, a lot like the cryptozoology groups, but whereas cryptozoologists at least are more upfront about the goal being to find these specific creatures or monsters or what have you paranormal research often claims to be just looking for quote-unquote answers and aiming to (laughs) document phenomena right they will often specifically say that that is their goal when really like they want to find ghosts they want to stir that pot yes so they in some ways almost go about it to seem like they're more scientific than they are even though what they're doing is less scientific in some ways than cryptozoology (laughs) stuff Um, Yeah, true. So they give the impression of objectivity, and really, that's what they're after, trying to seem like real scientists. We'll talk a little bit more about this with our guests later on. One aspect of their attempt at being scientific is their tools of the trade. Uh, I briefly listed them in the last episode, and we'll run through them now, in light of how useful they actually are. So most of the time, definitely on the TV shows you see. they have night vision cameras Mm -hmm. as opposed to just leaving the lights on and using a normal camera. Mm -hmm. I did mention last time that one argument people give is that if a particular ghost someone sees or something is actually just a reflection of light, Turning the lights off should mean, oh, well, we'll get rid of that possibility, we'll eliminate that particular variable, Mm -hmm. and we'll be able to find out more likely what's going on. Mm -hmm. Using a night vision camera is still using a type of light, which is um, our eyes can't see it, but it's happening. It's infrared light. It's just below the range that our eyes can see. And the camera is shining it out, and the camera is able to pick it up. That's why everything looks the way it does in those... And especially when you see someone's eyes in an infrared camera, while they're kind of that weird glowing look, it's because the infrared radiation is shining directly into their eyes and reflecting, reflecting out. Reflecting back out, yeah. Yeah. You can see it even more clearly on different nature documentaries like i think planet earth and they looked at the african savanna at nighttime when um, they're like they are have lions like a very special
1: out. camera too don't they
3: but again it just is picking up infrared right. radiation and they have a big almost like a spotlight they're shining that is ir mm-hmm. and um so when you're looking at the footage it looks like they're just lighting up the entire area and for some reason it's in black and white but really, really? they're shining this light that our eyes can't see on everything and then the camera is picking it all up Right. So, this is all to say that uh, just <laughs> that's how, how our vision, cameras work. <laughs> yeah, this is all to say that uh, when you're turning off all the lights and then turning on a different kind of light, you're still introducing a kind of variable that isn't going to really help you that right. much. Right. So, if, if there's like some kind of reflection happening and then you're looking at your footage afterward, you see that happening, it could be a reflection of the infrared radiation coming out of the camera. Like, you yeah, can't,
1: it's still a reflection. Yeah, right. so... It's not like the camera is magically just picking up ghost stuff.
3: Exactly. So to give the argument that that is why you're using that kind of camera, it just doesn't cut it nope. and it's not really working out. Nope. EMF, electromagnetic fields. People use a lot of EMF detectors. That's one of the mainstays of paranormal research going around and kind of getting a detection of, I can't remember what the actual units are, but it's looking at how much- Go- a, ghosts ghosts per minute yeah gpm's Mm -hmm. uh i did just mention infrared as a a, a type of um, radiation that's below visible light that's all on the electromagnetic spectrum Mm -hmm. so you have like way down low you have radio waves am and then fm and then above that you have infrared and then a very narrow band that is visible light then above that you have ultraviolet and then you have um, pm i think after that yep pm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have, um, you know, X-rays and then right. gamma rays way at the top, like higher and higher energy stuff. We still can't see. Mm-hmm. But it's all there. Um, electromagnetic fields, a similar kind of deal where it's like electromagnetic radiation all over the place. It can be created by electronics. It can be created by all different things. And so, going around and getting a reading of electromagnetic fields. In theory, the idea is to you know walk around, get a baseline idea of what a space is like. Mm -hmm. Some paranormal investigators will use that as a way to debunk kinds of hauntings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is a phenomenon where sensitivity to high EMF kind of situations will make you have a feeling. Yeah, Yeah, you can have the feeling of being watched. You can have just this kind of unease, sort of feeling of being haunted by something, and it actually is just electromagnetic field stuff and so um in some cases i've seen where they've gone into a house or something and they found areas where electronics are all plugged in in a strange way or something that is causing an atypically high spike and that could be responsible for people feeling like something is haunted right but they'll also use that saying like they'll walk around say okay all these readings are this these numbers they'll even maybe write them down and stuff and then when suddenly there is a peak they'll attribute it to maybe being a a ghost passing through Now, to actually get a baseline reading, you'd have to spend a lot of time all over the space you're in. And this goes back to the idea of replicates and stuff and experiments. You need more than just one night in a place. Lots of sampling, yeah. EMF, there's no real way to know if that's actually picking up anything at all. Right. Supernatural, that is. Right. So even if you did your due diligence there and you spent a lot of time to get a baseline reading and then looked for fluctuations... With as much technology as there is in the world, there's no way to be able to safely say that something isn't just caused by, oh, someone just received a text or yeah, something like right. that. There's a lot of different possible reasons why <laughs> electromagnetic fields could be just some simple thing, everyday objects and stuff, as opposed to ghosts. Uh, thermal enough. imaging cameras, same kind of thing as with the night vision, mm. where you're looking around at stuff that's around. But again, heat can be reflected by surfaces too. And you
1: can and pick up that. exactly, Or even absorbed by surfaces. So. Yeah,
3: so the fancier the camera you use, that doesn't necessarily mean the more accurate your results are. It's just a new type of technology that can have its own type of complications. Right. EVPs, Electronic Voice Phenomena. The, the acronym is, you pluralize with an S, e- Phenomenons. Yeah. Yeah, um, Phenomenons. Uh, I think the biggest thing there, so whenever you hear an EVP, it's always like you have to really crank the sound to hear it It's hard to discern from just general background noise or static Mm -hmm. and always it's very infrequent that you find an EVP that makes contextual sense Mm -hmm. as far as someone asking a question. And then if they do hear the EVP in the space where there should be an answer to a question People will then tr- kind of try and like really, really force their ears to hear something that makes sense as a possible answer to that question. Right,
1: you're very susceptible to priming in these moments for sure, and
3: specifically a phenomenon that we may have brought up before called paradolia. Paradolia, which can manifest in, oftentimes it's when you're seeing stuff. It's the way your brain tries to make sense out of nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's the reason you can look at like two dots and a curved line and say, oh, it's a smiley face. Right. It's a really useful tool for us to survive in terms of just to, to make sense of information. It's also the reason you can look at like TV static and think you see a face in that as well. Or see like um, look at an old photograph that has some kind of distortions in the background and think it's a ghost there. Yeah. Um, right. And it can work with sound too where you can hear a bunch of just basically white noise. Right. And then think that there is a voice there. Right. I think it's a whole horror movie based on that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's called White Noise, in fact.
1: Oh, uh, go figure.
3: So ultimately, how do you claim to measure something that no one even knows is real to begin with? This is something that Sarah, when we talked with her in um, episode forty forty six, 46, I think, 46, the hostess with the ghostest uh, host of <laughs> Laughing in the Dark, Sarah Jones. Um, she mentioned the idea that you know people look at all the the lack of results and stuff to say that there aren't ghosts and say well how do you know you're not finding stuff if you don't even know what it is you're trying to measure mm-hmm. the flip side of that is that how do you know that you're finding stuff if you don't know how it can be measured i'm not yeah. going to right say that it can't be there we don't know it's there it's not real does isn't <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> but it is, it's like the sustains the fantasy you say that well you don't know that you can't measure this you get a whole like russell's
3: teapot kind of situation russell's there. teapot <laughs> yeah. indeed russell's teapot is the idea that if you were to claim that there is a teapot somewhere in orbit around the sun between the earth and there you can't prove that it's not there right so maybe it is there and right then taking it a step further and like turning that into a whole like doctrine and If you don't believe it's there, then you are a heretic, and all this stuff. Right, right. You can keep building
1: from there. Hey, man, what's the harm in believing it's there, just in case it is? Right. Maybe the teapot sends you to hell when you die.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, in this case, we don't have any specific way to measure the presence or absence of the teapot in orbit. We wouldn't know where to look. We wouldn't know what to use to measure it. Same thing with ghosts. We don't know what units to even measure ghosts in other than ghosts per well, minute. Well, ghosts per minute <laughs> yeah. is the, the unit. So how can you even claim to be measuring something if you don't know it's there? Right. One thing I want to contrast that with is the idea of dark matter and dark energy. Something that we're pretty sure exists, but we have no way to measure it. We have no way to detect it. We have no idea what it even really is. We just... It's a hypothetical form. It's a
1: hypothetical that emerges out of mathematical formulae if i'm not mistaken
3: yeah so in the case of say dark matter you're looking at all these different observ- observations we make about the universe and about how
1: things behave very objective very tangible observations
3: yes and how um the different gravitational relationships between galaxies and things and just all across the universe what we can see it seems like there should be a whole lot more mass to the universe than we can actually detect right we know how to detect matter through different methods but the amount of matter there should be is that much higher than what we can detect. So it's like, so we call it dark matter. Right. Because we theoretically believe it should exist based on all that we know about properties of how things work and interact, but we just haven't seen it yet. So you could say that ghosts or a thing like that, like where oh, maybe it could exist, but we just haven't
1: seen it yet. A key distinction there, though, is that folks who are proposing dark matter, it's very uh, consciously put forward as a kind of placeholder for a better answer.
3: And also, it's an answer to a question that was raised by observations. Right. Not an answer to a question like, oh, are there ghosts? yes yeah <laughs> like, is there dark matter like why would you propose that well because of all these reasons
1: right like, exactly there has
3: to be something and, and further we're calling it
1: we'll continue to gather evidence as well as we can and when we have more information we'll be able to say oh it still seems like there may be dark matter or oh actually now we know it's whatever it yeah, Could or maybe be, this, this or specific
3: uh, phenomenon is causing our... Uh, it was um, ghosts the whole time. <laughs> <we> go, ghosts are <laughs> dark matter. Just this... So, ghosts <laughs> comprise 68% of the mass of the universe. Um, they just all hang out everywhere else in space until they come and visit us sometimes. Right. Oh. The long and short of that being that in that instance, it's a bunch of observable truths or whatever pointing towards mm-hmm. the need for this other thing we can't actually observe but think might be there. Whereas with ghosts... There aren't a whole bunch of different observations we can make that point to the need for that as a hypothetical reality. We don't say, oh, well, because of X, Y, and Z, there theoretically should be ghosts, right? Like, there's no real reason to point to that. So, uh, ultimately, all that comes together to say that uh, paranormal investigations got some problems. Um, I'm going to run through really quickly the idea of UFO stuff, which we did not cover last week. No, indeed. And uh, it's very similar to both cryptozoology and paranormal stuff. Um, The methodology is a lot like cryptozoology, where it consists of a whole lot of just reading about stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, We discovered when we went to the um, cryptozoology conference that to be a cryptozoologist, you basically have to be interested and read a bunch about it. And so therefore, we are cryptozoologists. oh um, no
1: like i said if, if we, we choose want to, to be, yes. yeah, yeah yeah we
3: haven't made that step yet but we have made the step to say that oh if we decide we want to be we could call ourselves that you too and no could one, be
1: a cryptozoologist just yes. pick a thing that you want to have be real and, and read a
3: bunch about it and talk about stories and you can write a book and suddenly you're an expert
1: go put a rock on a stump in the backyard and take that a picture <laughs> and be like where did this rock structure come from <laughs>
3: So the methodology is similar in that sense. But then you have the wholehearted belief in an unknown thing, which is a bit more like supernatural beliefs of paranormal investigators. Right. What really sets this group apart from either of those is the holy fucking shit obsessiveness. Oh. <laughs> because one thing that is unique to UFO research is the ubiquity of conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. And yeah, damn. So there's, there's a ton. A, a lot of that whole field is based around the idea of cover-ups and things right. going on that no it one wants to believe. And so then it frequently becomes,
1: slides into governmental propaganda world yes. or whatever. And
3: then no matter what you try and do to ground things in reality, saying, well, actually, you know, we know that particular light in the sky was this thing. You're part of the conspiracy. Right. So it's a kind of self-fulfilling. Um,
1: this is increasingly true. I would say in cryptozoology as well, at least yes. with Sasquatch stuff. People are just like, what do you mean he's not real?
3: I recently read about a really interesting Sasquatch conspiracy theory, but I'll yeah. save that for another episode. Oh, <laughs> excited. <makes sense. laughs> to hear that it uh, it surprised me but anyway that's um that's it for a recap of last week's episode so let's talk now
1: about how real science compares to all of that yes indeed when doing science <laughs> We, first and foremost, are looking at consistently observable phenomena, which catches one's attention. So like Jake mentioned before, with folks, say, studying the makeup of our universe, of our reality, you know, these are things that can be seen, can be observed consistently by many parties and agreed upon collectively. These are critical qualities to just the baseline. What are we even going to study in the first place? And oftentimes you can measure that stuff in some capacity. In some capacity, exactly. And in doing so, we it's hard to just look at any one thing and say, oh, I know how that works. Right. The next step is to simply propose an explanation for how a thing could work, which would be your hypothesis based on the available knowledge at hand.
3: Yeah. And a hypothesis is a word you hear a lot in relation to science, and it's a proposed answer to a question that you're asking.
1: Exactly. The question could be, you know, why does the light turn on? Well, I hypothesize that it turns on because I flipped this switch, and so you can try flipping the switch up and down and up and down, and look at that, the light comes on consistently every time. Cool. Well, that's at least step one on a process, because now, well, I realize that on occasion, in a thunderstorm, let's say, no matter what I do, the light will not turn on. Now what?
3: So now, you know, it's not just a simple act of flipping the switch that is responsible for the light coming on. There's got to be more to it and you got to look into it. more. And on you go
1: from there. Exactly. And so, but it's always driven by observation and empirical or objective data. There has to be a rationale behind it too. You can't just give a possible answer and then just call it good. Right. You have to propose an explanation, which then does or does not fit the scene. And the best hypothesis, the best explanation, is the one that's the least falsifiable. So, this is a critical note, scientists ostensibly should be trying to prove their hypothesis as invalid. They're not looking to support their pre-held notions or claims. However, this is a pitfall, I think, for pseudoscientists and legitimate scientists alike.
3: They want their, like, if you have a pet hypothesis that is, like, something you really believe might be true and you want to believe it's true, you really want that to work out.
1: Tests should be such that you are going to experimentally demonstrate that your hypothesis does not work. And if you can't do that, then you go, well, hey... My best guess remains the best guess for the time being. Yes. Let's because continue it's not, trying. It's
3: not something you pull out of thin air. You have like I said, you have to have a rationale. And so you use supporting information about like certain things you know about the world that are the reasons why you propose that hypothesis. Right. And then if you can't prove that wrong, then like, all right, maybe that is the case. But you still don't say this is the case. We, we try <laughs> in good science. You try not to <laughs> ever say anything is proven exactly but disproving stuff is a big part of it so when you say the idea of a falsifiable hypothesis that is the main thing you propose a possible answer to a question and it has to be kind of question that you can then try and prove wrong and then when you've exhausted your possible ways of proving it wrong then maybe it might not be
1: wrong exactly because one of the one of the grand overarching principles of science is that we never fully and totally know anything <laughs>
3: right like you could say i mean it's a hypothesis which is just the um initial proposed answer to a question um a theory is like a very well supported hypothesis mm-hmm. um a law is like especially held true like over a great deal of practice to the point where it can be applied in multiple circumstances right
1: with great confidence and, yes. yeah right
3: but it still isn't totally certain like it's, exactly um, there's always the a little lies. room yeah
1: for for randomness and uh Entropy to take hold. You know, and as we collect data, what do we do but run statistics on these? We basically try to figure out how much the results of our test could have been due to chance or maybe due to, let's say, something closer to a law of nature.
3: Right. You may hear a scientist mention the idea of whether results are significant or what they specifically mean is whether they are statistically significant. Right. This is the kind of like drier, more boring part of science that the average person doesn't really care about as much mm-hmm. but it's actually the most important part of collecting results and it's completely absent from all cryptozoology paranormal investigation stuff there can,
1: simply is nothing to statistically analyze in a lot of cases
3: and you might say well so what like how important is is doing some number crunching to actually confirming a result like you right, saw a thing right. it
1: was there yeah how are you gonna like just deny what your eyes have told you but there's a unfortunate huge amount of chance that happens. There's just a lot of randomness in oh, yeah. events. And statistics allows us to determine how much the causal agent is actually related to the outcome that we're looking at. Yeah. If that makes sense.
3: So is the pattern you saw or the result you yes, found... the pattern, right. Is it because of the actual effect of one thing on the other that you
1: think might be... Or is it just totally arbitrary look of the draw? And this is also a, a realm where, I guess I mentioned causal agents, but there can also be significant correlations between things, which are not necessarily causative. Right. It's just it happens that when one thing is occurring, another thing is also occurring. They may be linked in some ways, but they aren't necessarily relying on each other for their mutual expression. And so this can readily lead scientists to the correlation equals causation fallacy and or what they call P hacking. So P hacking <laughs> is referring
3: to um when I said the you know, the probability of whether or not something happens due to the actual effect of something or due to random chance is reported oftentimes as a P value. So P equals a number and the lower the number is the less likely it is that the result you found was due to random chance right um the arbitrary threshold that a lot of scientists use is 0.05
1: right which so. means that there's just a five percent chance that whatever you're observing is due to chance <laughs> right
3: p hacking then
1: p hacking then is effectively drawing from your collected data or analyzing your collected data in such a way that you illegitimately boost the perceived significance of the result. So you
3: can do different kinds of um, all mathematical of operations on stuff that'll eventually make it so that your number, your p-value number gets really low.
1: Right. There's a funny phenomenon with really, really large sample sets, or many, many statistical tests, which is that when you are performing many statistical tests on, say, a huge data set... There is just a probabilistic certainty that you will find some significant result. And it's not necessarily because there's something actually going on. It's rather a product or a byproduct of the statistical analysis itself. So this is something that people have to look out for often as well within the scientific community. And go figure, there are further stats you can do basically on your stats (laughs) to reduce the chance that you are drawing a seemingly statistically significant result, which is actually a false, what they would call a false positive in that case.
3: So in case we've lost you with the kind of nuts and bolts of of how our our work typically works, Um, the main point there is that science necessarily involves a decent amount of math, and that math is very important.
1: These are things that the paranormal and cryptid and what have you, air quotes, research community Could incorporate to better legitimize their work. And these are the necessary important steps that I think a lot of folks within that field scoff at or just simply shun entirely. Right. And I guess finally, scientific work is often peer-reviewed. So this is where other folks in the field, often within that particular topic of scientific research, examine the work themselves. So you finished your whole study, you have your results, you have your interpretation of what it could mean.
3: You've written it all up into a very concise, clear way of
1: conveying what you try to find and why. You have all your arguments laid out. And they will give it their eye and sort of see if it's watertight to their, you know, the best of their critical ability. And this is important because it is the sort of communal vetting. Um, scientific scientist uh, scientist science is a very collective effort. You know, it's it's almost impossible to do any work on one's own. Absent of anyone else's input, by the same token, it's a collective effort to police each other to make sure that we're not being too sort of taken away by our own personal desire to see the fun answer or the narrative that we privately really do enjoy or want to, uh, to have found. Yeah. Which I think, again, the uh, cryptid community does not do. Yeah. So an example of how that might work is like, say,
3: you or I finish doing some kind of experiment to do with like behavioral ecology with some kind of bee. Go figure. And then we send it to a journal that makes sense for what we want to publish in. And then the reviewers who come in might be people who study other social animals or who are entomologists. Right. Or someone who has an expertise that makes some kind of sense to be looking at our work then they judge whether
1: or not we did a good job and often provide feedback that will help us just improve
3: yeah um this isn't foolproof either like it's still these are just other people who are looking at people's stuff work it's it's all people so there's always an element of fallibility but at least it's an attempt to try and catch errors and try and hold one another accountable right and that is something that is yeah just not in paranormal cryptozoological all that research right So we've given a lot of examples of what kind of things science tends to do uh, as a matter of course and kind of said, you know, how that differs from these other kinds of sort of pseudoscience. um, No downright pseudoscience. Yeah. We could then say as a recommendation, oh, you should do it more like this. And to a certain extent, that may not actually be feasible for a lot of folks who are. Like Because these are amateur scientists who may just be a passion of theirs to study this particular creature or they had a weird experience they couldn't explain when they were little and they wanted to get to the bottom of it as they grow up. They may not be able to actually conceivably do all the stuff that science requires you do. A lot of it can come down to what it costs
1: to do science. That's true. In many cases, scientific work, even relatively inexpensive scientific work is still quite an expensive endeavor unless you're working alone you typically have a team who need to spend upwards of weeks if not months uh often at a particular field site you have to keep them alive and paid (laughs) and they'll need gear and all the rest of it if you even ignore all the salaries and
3: stuff just the supply aspect of it costs so friggin much
1: and you know let's take the nessie or the bigfoot kind of bio pseudo bio examples sure you know the eDNA work that this team is proposing they do is very expensive this kind of uh, DNA sequencing technology is expensive yeah anytime and- you get
3: into like molecular biology like that it's like
1: Every little step of it is so costly. It's incredible. I mean, the scale that the work is done on, of course, is very small. But the number of times you have to do it, the costs add up so
3: fast. It's true. to do one of these big studies on anything at all, especially for an individual to want to go and study something, it's just not feasible.
1: Furthermore, the sources of funding that are available to... Even folks doing sort of startup exploratory work that might be the kind of study that you would expect to see in these sort of crypto or you know new species surveys, that funding is so limited almost across the board. Really, it just makes for a very competitive pool, which is unfortunately and also understandably largely merit and connection based. Yes, and so it will be your pedigree, your your academic pedigree that helps sort of set the table for, whether you will even be considered, and then furthermore, how many other funding sources and how many other people that you know that have drawn on funding sources in the past successfully will largely dictate whether your proposal is even read in the first place, and then you'll have to demonstrate a considerable grasp on a lot of the kinds of things Jake and I were just talking about within the scientific realm of procedures expected to be applied for this kind of work. So I think a lot of amateur researchers are not coming out of uh, an academic background um, in the sense of the more classic scientific uh, training. So for any old person to try and do it, it's just It just isn't possible. So as much
3: as we can tell paranormal researchers and cryptozoologists that you should be doing stuff more like real scientists, that may not actually be in the cards for them. It'd be nice if we could all just afford to try and do the different research we want to do because we could find cool stuff that way.
1: I agree. I mean, there is a lot of money. For instance, the U.S. government... Has a lot of money that they dole out to research institutions. I mean, you're funded that way, aren't you? Personally? I am indeed. Yeah. I, in fact, have the great fortune of being on a National Science uh, Foundation fellowship for graduate students. But National Science Foundation, they give money out to researchers at almost every stage of their career after a secondary education. I mean, in our current era, we don't see as much money as could be allocated in that way. I mean, if we yeah. took the money used to build even just one more f-15 jet or whatever and put it towards scientific research we'd probably have figured out how to breathe underwater and metabolize lava by now so <laughs> yep anyway i think the pseudoscience community could start to work towards dropping the pseud by getting an edu occasion
3: what did you say <laughs> uh, the sued oh okay yes yes they could why <laughs> i agree now that i understand <laughs>
1: i also didn't add o oh. um, sued the sued science it could be edu science instead exactly so i guess if there are any pseudoscientists out there <laughs> fuck you <laughs>
3: any prospective paranormal researchers, cryptozoologists, people who are interested in the strange and want to seriously study it. Yeah, right. There is a way to do that.
1: There is a way to do that. I would say explore, but actually be skeptical and do your due diligence when you have quote unquote evidence in hand. We need evidence that can't be so easily fabricated or flubbed. Fabrications being just plain old photographs Flubbed being things that could lead to erroneous results, even such as eDNA, if you're looking for an organism that is not actually proven to be real. Right
3: this is not to say that you are actually making your shit up right this is instead to say that you need to be able
1: to find results that no one could point at and say you made that up exactly you need to be able to verify and vet validate every v word you can think of yes. um so
2: vivisect <laughs>
1: <laughs> vivisectable results
2: if you um, can cut you keep a them alive.
3: live sasquatch open on a table And show us
1: you doing it. Right. Then we'll believe you. Well, I mean, that'll be the ultimate. Uh, That's horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Gruesome. But, you know, set up repeatable experiments or get a bigger sample size or hire someone who is a neutral authority on just simply verifying that what they've seen is real and true. And
3: again, if it comes back to the funding idea, if you have a friend who doesn't believe the stuff that you're so into, show them your stuff and say, what do you think of this? And see if they can poke holes in it or,
1: or not. Exactly. Work work hard to get someone on your team who does not buy what you're trying to sell. So that when you present your results to them, you present your work to them, and they have nowhere else to go but in agreement with your premise. Then what you have done is provided a hypothesis that can't be falsified. And you will be on your way to, you know... Sciencing. Sciencing. Like the rest of us. Yeah. And then I you can know. just be tearing your hair out. <laughs> 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 because Sasquatch isn't real. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It might be white. You don't know. Hey, yeah, I know, some but you don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. There you go. <laughs> That's a good one. It's not real. To take us home now with uh, recommendations on how these fields can be made more legitimate, what they can do to uh, become more like real science, we turn now to uh, a geologist and author of Scientifical Americans, Sharon, Sharon Hill. Hill. Sharon, thanks for joining us.
0: Well, I am so pleased to be here. I'm very yeah. excited. Woo. I don't oh. do too many podcast interviews these days anymore.
2: Oh. Oh, cool. cool. But I was
0: I was really glad to, to get your invitation and glad to be here.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Well, Thank we're happy so to much. have you. Yes, indeed.
3: So what can you tell us about, um, with all this kind of pseudoscience that's been done by a lot of different people who either are trying really hard to do real science, just don't know the difference... What kind of recommendations could you give to people to be more like real scientists to make their field more legitimate
0: oh wow gee you know there's a lot a lot to unpack right there yeah true (laughs) true (laughs) I was curious on how these people who didn't have a background in science, didn't go to school for science, didn't really have any training on how to do uh, research. Right. Actually going out there and interacting with the public and telling them that they were doing science (laughs) or or projecting this image that they were doing science. So it was slightly disturbing to me, but when I actually (laughs) dug into it, I found out a couple of really interesting things that maybe people don't realize. And maybe mm. they could be a little bit more sympathetic to the the investigators. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, you know, in our society, we value science. We know it, it gives us the best answers. And I think these people realize that. Mm-hmm. And they want to try to do that. And they try their best. Right. But the science that they get is like what they see on TV. Yeah. Like movies. <laughs> it's a pop culture version yeah. of science. It's
1: exactly. Playing at science.
0: It really is. And that's kind of a shame. And I'm not sure why that is. Is it a failure of our education system huh. or is it the media portraying something that isn't are these people just like role playing
2: right. and <laughs> pretending
0: to be a scientist which they kind of they kind of are? It's I'm kind sure of like. Plenty larping. of them are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but the background is that they want to. Right. They want to do the right thing yeah. and right. they can't. And they can't because science is hard.
2: <laughs> right,
0: and you know it's a pisser. It's hard to do. It's it's, often it's long. tedious. <laughs> it's, it's very tedious. Um, it's a, it's a horrible process. Sometimes you get beat up a lot, and right. it's you know they take an easy route, and unfortunately, it passes muster with the public. It looks mm-hmm. quite credible to them.
2: Yeah. Well, so, yeah.
0: Um, I mean, it, it, by the end of the book, I I realized I needed to sort of tell them what they could do, maybe to. Not be so annoying to scientists, and maybe actually <laughs> yes. make make a contribution. I think they can. Right. Um, right. I think that collecting data is a good thing, and right. more eyeballs out there and more people doing it is a good thing. Maybe um, partnering with actual scientists, because there are some that really are interested in mm-hmm. this these phenomenon and this this field, and more so recently, some of them have even gone to local universities and asked for a sponsor for
2: for their paranormal groups
0: some scientists are willing to help them out so it's almost a citizen science type scenario where you're actually cooperating with someone who actually knows how to do research research methods so that is working out that is a trend um also don't pretend don't pretend to do science don't (laughs) don't play this stupid role don't put on this this act
1: yeah it's funny i I often think about whether there would be as much interest in these things if an actual scientific method was applied to them. You know what I mean? Because I think part of the fun for a lot of these folks is that there is such flexibility and open-endedness in how you approach the sort of research, if you will, use that term, of, you know, paranormal-like ghosts or cryptids of any kind. Uh, You know, you kind of can just go out and see what you see. And if it lends itself to the narrative, then, hey, maybe I just found something here. And who doesn't, in doing science, want that experience of, like... Wow when I went and looked for it I found it like we all want that in some way shape or form I guess
0: and that's the beauty of this the the amateurs um, scientists have looked at cryptozoology very early on um, the Victorian scientists were debating about the reality of sea serpents yeah sure uh, yeah the Smithsonian people looked at the Patterson Gimlin film of Bigfoot right so yeah. it's not like they haven't looked at this before they've right. just not found anything to pursue right uh, with regards to ghosts and and life after death my my gosh! The Society for Psychical Research was formed over a century ago, and they're huh. still around. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still produce a journal.
3: Wow! Ghost wow. hunters
0: don't publish in that journal. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't publish at all. Pretty mm-hmm. much. So there's such a disconnect. But because actual scientists have sort of up and left these fields almost entirely they're not really considered mm. mainstream at all right um that was a space for the amateurs to move in and right. i think that's an important point for people to realize is who do you call yeah. i hate to use the cliche but <laughs> who do you call if you got a problem you can't call you who are you scientist. going to call i think is
2: how it goes <laughs> <laughs>
0: So they Indeed. call their local paranormal group because right. they're the ones that are advertising. They're the ones that are interested. We just right.
3: found out we have 44 local groups in, in New Hampshire alone. New Hampshire alone,
1: yeah.
0: That's more than I counted. Um, when I counted them back in like 2010, I think the most is like Ohio and Pennsylvania. They had the most. And I'm in Pennsylvania, so I know that they've. They're so close together. They start fighting with each other. Uh,
1: these are our ghosts.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or they start to pick up gimmicks. You know, oh. like one one group works with animals, or, okay. or you know, they bring their dogs along for their investigation. Oh, or they've got or their one,
1: shtick. I yeah, or,
0: exactly. So one group will focus on. We have a demonologist on, mm. on stuff but that right. was in 2010. <laughs> I'm sure it's changed since then.
1: But yeah, exactly.
3: You also mentioned in the book the idea that um, there's kind of a pissing contest with with gear too, like like oh well, now they have a, a full spectrum camera we got to get a full spectrum camera oh man now they have like a <laughs> right. thermal detect like, we got to get that too like just you see what other people do and assume that that is the tool to do that kind of investigation and another thing too is like the kind of the idea of role playing science you see someone using fancy equipment they're right. doing the props, science, right? The props yeah.
1: lead, the, lead the charge, don't they?
0: And it's always been that way. Ever since technol- different types of technology have come along, since the radio, the telephone, the television, um, right. have always been associated with supernatural sure. ideas. If we can contact somebody clear across the country, across this wire, maybe we can contact the dead.
1: Right. Mm, um, right.
0: So there's the, there's a lot of themes that went around with this technology, and it's mm. always been there. So it's mm. kind of natural. That they would still be trying it today, but like you said, gadgetry and science—it's a thing. People think that you need to be a scientist; you gotta have some sort of gadget with you, some blinky thing and electronics.
1: Well, it's funny. I feel even in, um, you know, the mainstream sciences, say of genomics, for instance. I mean, there's a lot to be said for just doing good natural history biology on so many species that we legitimately know are real. But don't know hardly anything about as far as what their, you know, phenology and just like yearly, what, what is their biology like? And so simply going out there and looking at them and studying them and just doing the hard yards in the field, you know, there is a lot to be said for dropping the gadget, if you will, of next gen sequencing and going back to that sort of thing. Anyway, just made me think of that. Uh, yeah <laughs> uh,
0: crypt- cryptozoology is my favorite
1: yeah cool that is
0: my favorite topic i love it and right I'm, I'm not sure why but i probably should have been a biologist i'm a geologist i probably should have been a biologist well, that's all just because i like that better we're
3: biologists who wish we were geologists that's kind of weird <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly
0: we should be geobiologists or biogeologists <laughs> yeah, right? there you go. <laughs> and there, there is something to be said for interdisciplinary study on Absolutely. these things uh for example in in cryptozoology there are a lot of geologic facts that can be worked into the idea of why isn't there a bigfoot mm-hmm. right? because there's no fossil record why isn't there a fossil record because you know various <laughs> things are are going on and the people who investigate these things should realize but they don't that mm. several independent lines of evidence should all point to the same conclusion mm-hmm. they shouldn't all point in different directions. Mm-hmm but yet they do. So something's wrong. We try to collect lines of evidence and they should all point to the same thing. So the biology, the zoology, the the, um, ecology should all sort of point in the same direction for Bigfoot, for example, Uh and it doesn't. So something is screwy.
1: Right, Hmm. right. It is strange. Very confounding. And yet we still have, I mean, what, what do you make of here are all these accounts coming out of all these places and throughout history. I mean, that's something that's sort of like got me so into the story of it in the first place were these early stories, say from like Frontiersmen or right. you know, First Nations legends and things like that.
0: Well this is this is kind of complicated. And what I see some cryptozoologists do is they pull these old accounts, they cherry pick them.
1: Right. Right. So they
0: go back to First Nations accounts right. and they see, oh well you have a wild hairy man in your account. Well that must be reflect a bigfoot
1: obviously bigfoot yeah
0: whereas the the other strange being that you depict in your mythology well that's clearly that's just, just part up. of your religion yeah right right <laughs> so <laughs> so they cherry pick what they want and there's a there's a real danger to that they misinterpret it certainly there's like one good book that explains this um
2: the good book
0: there's one the di- bible <laughs> no 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 <laughs> it's <laughs> called it's called lake monster mysteries and and what it does is huh. uh, michelle merger um it's a french canadian author and um he he describes how people took natives ideas of sea serpent or sea- lake monster ideas mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. made them into a real creature when right. they really represented a story about be careful when you're going across the lake. There or, you be go. careful when you you know you could you could die. It was and like a
1: boogeyman basically. It
0: was very much so. And and unfortunately cryptozoologists have a tendency to do this especially with Bigfoot is pull from these old accounts and make them what they want them to be. Right. So there's another example of them delving into some scientific history, archaeology, anthropology, right. and coming up with their own story. The revised um,
1: narrative, yeah.
0: Yeah, people are storytellers. Absolutely. We're still doing it today, and I don't know what people have seen out in the woods. I Apparently, they've seen something pretty bad because it scared them and it's right. affected them really badly. Uh, I, I don't begrudge them that or no, you know certainly. even in their own homes, sometimes they have these haunting experiences. They're real to them. and right. I don't think it's fair for us to dismiss those because they're very potent but i'm not going to take them at face value because humans are complicated so i I, yeah i'm not going to make a conclusion from that
3: so would you ultimately agree that maybe the the biggest problem might be the discrepancy between a story and the evidence So, like we as scientists we build the story from what the evidence says whereas a lot of these amateur investigators looking at cryptozoology looking at ghosts and stuff looking at ufos might instead have a story in mind and then try and find evidence To make that story happen,
0: right? Very much so. It's almost like an upside down investigation. I call it like a sham inquiry because they already have their answer.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then they go through this process of what looks like
0: inquiry, but it's kind of a sham. But it looks uh, very convincing to the client or the observer. Right. And they look like they've come to a logical conclusion. I mean, you just watch a ghost hunting TV show, and that is what they do. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, the audience just falls right into that. But if, if you're a scientist and you're watching this, you could immediately see <laughs> the horrible flaws in right. the process. And um, it's it's often funny if you – if I do sometimes go to these paranormal investigation uh, presentations that mm-hmm. they give, mm-hmm. and it's just – it's very hard to sit through because they're just so transparently BSing everybody <laughs> right but everybody around me is buying it
2: <laughs> right <laughs> so it's
0: it's effective being scientifical you know pretending to do science when you're right. really not it's right. effective it's effective for the public that's True. pretty scary
3: for the record you can say bullshit on our show it's fine
0: okay well i didn't know
3: <laughs> <laughs> you have heard the show we curse too much
1: <laughs> we, we do curse too much
0: one of the the problems with paranormal groups is uh, they can't do criticism,
2: right? right?
0: And one of the tenets, one of the norms of science, is you open yourself up to yeah. criticism and and peer review and skepticism, and that's that's one of the you know the the, the methods of science. You do right. that exactly. They they can't do that. They close. Right. They deliberately close themselves off to it. They say if you are going to talk against what we say, you are an enemy, and we don't want to hear from you. How do you improve? Yeah, how exactly. Do you, how do you vet your data? How do you come to logical conclusions if that's your attitude? Some of the things that I saw with these paranormal groups were just astoundingly close-minded. Right. And they would be the first to tell me I'm close-minded. Right, uh, right. Of course. Right? You're close-minded because you're not accepting what I tell you is you, the truth. You don't
1: believe. <laughs> yeah.
0: I said, well, I'm open-minded enough to think I might be wrong. But right. here are all the options that could possibly be an explanation for what exactly. you're saying. You're saying it's just this one thing. Right. That's so the wrong kind
1: of parsimony, guys.
0: Who's close-minded? Right. Not me.
3: Right. <laughs> it's just—it's really frustrating when the word skeptic is—is a, is a four-letter word.
2: <sighs> it's just,
0: yeah. yeah. For the most part, I got doors, you know, slammed in my face. Nobody wants to talk to me hmm. because of that. Now I've sort of ditched that label uh, for for many and various reasons, oh, but yeah. it still hangs on, and, and that's what people remember me as as being the skeptic, and huh. it it's it's unfortunate.
1: That yeah. is very disappointing to hear
0: because of the strong belief element in the paranormal. There is an argument to be made that these fields can never be scientific.
2: Sure, you know, Just yeah. because
0: of that, um, I they, totally uh, they, hear there's, that. There's there's an anti-structural element. They never want to be organized. They never want to have rules. They're they love doing whatever they want. Like you said in the beginning, they love just trying their own things, doing using their own gadgets, doing whatever they feel works for them. Right. Uh, there's there's no rules. There's no uh, organization where they have to follow a set way of doing things, publishing right. peer review. Etc.
1: Etc. Right.
0: I think that perhaps trying to shoehorn these fields into a scientific framework just is never going to work. Yeah. I think that there could be some offshoots here and there that could make it like, say, anomalistic psychology. Hmm. Is, you know, an, an academic field or in some way there, there's plenty of people out there looking for unknown species. Right. They're called zoologists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it turns
1: out.
3: Yeah. They,
0: <laughs> they find them. How about that? Right. So
3: <laughs> I think one thing that I wonder might be the reason why all these folks want to be so different from how, you know, establishment science is is the sort of stodgy gatekeeping that comes with academia. right? And so I guess I want to try and separate the idea that we're not saying that, oh, you have to follow these particular rules if you want to be in our club. It's more like you follow these particular rules because they work. Like, that's right. why they're there.
0: Exactly. And how are you going to know that unless you've pretty much gone to graduate school in a scientific field? I didn't mm-hmm. learn a lot of the in-depth details of creating scientific knowledge as an undergrad.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: learned that in grad school. Right the philosophy of science, the history of science, didn't have that as an undergrad. Because as an undergrad, I'm learning how to learn the basics of the field, all right. the background knowledge, all the body of science that already exists. Right. I'm not learning how to make new stuff. Right. <laughs> you learn that in graduate school. Right. So that's not open to most people. So how are they going to learn it?
1: No, indeed. Man.
3: And unfortunately, making that new stuff tends to just be a lot of kind of like hitting your head against the wall and told something you break through the other side <laughs> and there's information there like it's it's a lot of really backbreaking so much trial work. and
1: even more error <laughs> yes.
0: well that's why too many people don't become scientists because it's hard and it's, it's yeah. very
1: much so i agree but hopefully we can convince them all
3: that real science as annoying as it may be to do is still worth doing right
1: yes indeed yes.
3: We don't want to eat up all of your evening. I know you also have a fun fact to tell. Why you told me about it a little bit. Why it doesn't know anything about it oh, yet? Oh yeah. But before we get there, do you, is there any kind oh. of just like last thought you want to leave us with that could round it all out? Please do. Well,
0: I think that you know my research into uh, amateur paranormal investigators made me very much more sympathetic towards their quest. Um, mm-hmm. They they make me mad. Um, <laughs> they're arrogant, and you know they they can be assholes. But I think that they're, for the most part, there are some, there are some real assholes, but um, <laughs> for the most part, their heart is in a good place and they want to help people who have had these experiences. And right. apparently, there's a need for them in our society because they are so popular. Why mm. are they popular? Because there's a need for them. Our society wants them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an actually really complicated question. I mean, when I opened the box and started looking inside, it was super complicated. It had to do with science education and how, how the public perceives science and their lack of knowledge about nature. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. astounding. <laughs> and, um so there's a lot to unpack there and i think mm-hmm. we should be a little bit sympathetic to them and you know Certainly. what i'm okay with the paranormal belief system in in especially in the u.s and of course all over the world right now very right. high rate of belief you know more than 75 percent of the population believes in some Form strange paranormal yeah. yeah that's okay that's i'm, I'm no okay with that it's not hurting anybody right. and and when when it starts to cross over maybe into the classroom or into curriculum then i get worried yeah uh, and i want to speak up but for the most part that's how humans are we believe in things that may not be true so i'm pretty settled with that
3: well said great well thank you so much for joining us for this episode
1: thank you very much Sharon.
3: and now you have some cool stuff to tell us about centralia
1: oh yeah Awesome.
3: Because you are a
1: geologist.
0: That's right. And I, I actually am in the mining program in oh. my state in Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Um, and I have been since 1992. Awesome. So I have some insider information. 1996, I'm sorry. You know, I was going to say, I was looking at the years, paper right here, and I was
1: like, <laughs> wait a minute.
0: Years <laughs> fly by. <laughs> I, I'm in Pennsylvania, and uh, we did cover centralia and so i've been aware of the history of centralia my whole life and i've lived in the coal regions my whole life well many years ago i went down to centralia i had been there several times and i mean i was there before like the road was closed and oh wow you know there was lots of people still living there right and um I went down there for a field trip with an author, a local author, who has chronicled the, the downfall of the town and the people moving out and the the, mm. uh, the effects of the, the government trying to get in there and help them. Right. And the thing that stood out to me at, on this field trip was the fact that there was this gigantic, deep conspiracy theory about <laughs> Centralia uh,
2: uh-huh. from the
0: residents who oh. were living in, around that area. They were convinced that the mine fire was a concocted idea. Huh. To get them wow. out of the town hmm. so the mining rights, the coal rights, can be sold to and the they state? can mine through. Now, uh-huh. the funny part is um, there are two mining permits to the east of Centralia and to the west of Centralia. And the strike of the, the coal goes in you know uh, one direction. Right. So Centralia is in the middle huh. of these two. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: And um, when there was a request to actually include part of the town into the mining permit huge public uproar that it was this was the vindication of the conspiracy that the government was trying to get us out so they could (laughs) so they could mine into the town and there is coal there of course of course Um, of course but when lots of monitoring equipment was put in around the town to monitor the the fire the temperature of the grounds the boreholes were put in and uh, equipment was put into uh to send you know radio signals and the feedback of the data the temperature those were shot vandalized
2: destroyed
0: i was just astounded at at, they could not keep the equipment safe because it kept being vandalized now
1: that is incredible who
0: knows who is vandalizing it was was it the kids painting all the penises on the road maybe (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't me i
1: don't know what you're trying to say we know you grew up there (laughs) why i know i know wait no no damn
0: it but uh uh, th- there's a culture there of a very dark feeling towards government officials, even though there was a right. very legitimate attempt to try to help those people and do the best that they could with engineering to put out the fire. It just got beyond the scope that of the That
1: is so do. painfully ironic.
0: It was um, awful. and And I don't like going there for that reason because sure. it is – It feels not Silent Hill scary, but scary in a different way.
1: (laughs) It's got a vibe to it, for sure, I'd say. It really
0: does. I I even heard that they had tried to get the location to film some other movies because of the atmosphere. And, of course, it wasn't really safe to do that.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Which is even kind of creepier in its own way.
0: (laughs) Uh, The last time I was there, I think it was in uh, 2006. 2009 something like that okay. we were standing on one of the hills and my feet started to get hot and i wow. just picked up my foot and the soles of my shoes were warm oh, just standing oh the goodness ground.
1: that is crazy
0: so yeah it's still going on it's wow it's still a thing and uh we still get calls at least once a week for people looking for more information on on that
1: centrilia. Oh my wow. goodness. That's amazing. Very cool. <laughs> well, well, thank you for expanding you so the story much. for us. That's very cool. That is very, very cool. Oh my and goodness. And thank you again
3: for joining us for this episode. We'll probably try and find excuses to drag you on the show again sometime down the road because That's
0: fine. Very yeah, cool.
3: But uh great.
1: And uh for all listeners out there, definitely check out scientifical Americans.
0: Hopefully, it'll be used in some college classes as well oh, of, very cool there's there's quite a number of classes popping up about pseudoscience and there big photology and all sorts of stuff that they're taking a look at the culture of of these uh paranormal researchers
1: there you go and a lot of the things that i think seduce uh paranormal researchers away from better methods are the same things that can draw the most sturdy scientist away from better conclusions about their own work so it's it's a great read yeah and if you ever
3: listen to the show and think man this is good stuff but i wish these guys weren't so bad
1: at their research (laughs) yeah (laughs) read the book it's it's exactly everything you want and more (laughs) exactly um and also sharon do you have any other uh plugs or anything you'd like to get out there
0: um if you want to see more of what i do i got a lot of videos and and i I, I happen to like a lot of different subjects. I just did a talk on earthquake lights and weird things like that. So oh, cool. uh, my website is SharonAHill.com.
1: Awesome. SharonaHill.com.
3: That's right. Sharona
0: okay. Hill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much again, Sharon. We really yeah. appreciate my it. My
0: pleasure. It was It was a lot of fun.
1: So I guess... I know we've been kind of coming down on the paranormal research community at large. And we've been pretty
3: dry, even more than usual for our special report. Yeah, indeed. Because science
1: as a process... It's a very sober, very straight process. If
3: you're doing research and you don't reach a point where you're like, this is the worst thing ever. I'm so bored. This is so repetitive. This is awful. Well, it might not be science. It may not yeah. No. There's a lot of really, We, I mean, I say that jokingly, there's a lot of, of really great stuff that comes from like, you can, we talked about hypothesis testing and experiments and there's a whole entire field of research that is just going out and finding stuff. There's a lot of just fact-finding that can be done, and exactly. there's a lot of thrill to be learning brand new things.
1: The thing is, like exactly, there there is a ton of what they would call descriptive work rather than experimental work, which is exactly that. You are documenting things for the first time, but you need to do it in a way that can be validated by a community and not just simply accepted regardless of critique. And I think Jake and I are both this insistent about getting this message out there to the para-research, what have you, community, because we agree that the story is fun. Yeah, we would love for all (laughs) this to
3: end up being real. It would be so great. (laughs) That would be really cool. And it stands to reason that the better you are at trying to find the stuff, the better methods you use, the more likely it is that whatever
1: you find will be real exactly but in the meantime just don't let the story come before the facts
3: yeah because if you do you'll end up being an episode of super duper superstitious, or we'll read your story and, and laugh our butts up. off
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh until next time until next year
3: yeah yeah the next episode doesn't come out until January. 2019 mm-hmm. <laughs> both those things <laughs> So oh, thank shit. you for joining us this time. Thank you very much. We'll be back again next time. As always, if you have your own questions you want to ask us, if you have your own experience you want to share, if you want to say, Hey, you guys are doing bad and don't contact
1: us at our email address. Contact at superduperstitious.com. Mm-hmm. And uh reach out through all the other stuff. Bye. Yep. Bye. <laughs>